This is Robert Capuccio. Welcome to the Self-Help Antidote, a weekly dose of reason, perspective, and insight, where we challenge conventional thinking and explore authentic strategies and insights around personal transformation. Our commitment to you is to bring you some of the world's leading experts in the domains of fitness, wellness, coaching, and behavior change, separating fact from fallacy. This was a deep and at times painful episode. Me and Tiffany were in relatively good spirits. I mean, we recorded this on her birthday. I had no idea. Yeah. Okay. So some friend I turned out to be. But days before something happened, it was likely the saddest day of Tiffany's entire life. The love of her life, her dog coach, died. What's worse is that it was sudden and unexpected. She went in for a relatively minor surgery. She had a dislocated toe and she never woke up. I understand how devastatingly painful that is because not too long ago, we lost our dog, Orlando. If you're a dog lover and you've experienced this personally, you completely get it. If you're not, this might not make all that much sense to you. But most of us have had the experience of losing someone that we love. In some cases, someone we love deeply. It's an excruciating feeling. Suffering and loss are an unavoidable part of being human. Maybe it's the fact that life is so fleeting that makes our moments so significant. I've attended more funerals than I'd have liked to, obviously. One thing that I've observed, however, is that in confronting the reality of death, you get pretty clear about what's most meaningful in life. Even in the midst of grief and suffering, you can find beauty, love, and meaning. We only feel a sense of loss in relation to the things that we value. If we can be vulnerable to understanding what we miss most, perhaps that can help us to discover what it is we love most, because arguably, when facing the reality of life, that's all that really matters. Hello, and welcome back to another episode of the Self-Help Antidote and Rule with the Punches. I'm here with my fabulous co-host, you all know and love. I mean, to be honest, you're probably listening to this show more of the heart than for me anyway, so you know who she is, Tiffany Cook. Hi, <laughs> Tiffany. Hi, Bobby. Do you like my hair? I did my hair for you today. I love your hair. I mean... Not like when it's not all done. I don't like it, but it, I, it's different and it looks great. I almost feel bad for our listeners because they cannot see how spectacular <laughs> your hair looks. They just like I'm building a YouTube channel now, so they can probably look in the oh, YouTube channel. Like months from now, it's going to take me months to like catch up to okay. loading this episode. But make a mental note of that. A few months from now, just go to my YouTube channel because Tiffany's hair looks spectacular. <laughs> yeah, come back, guys. Come back. So um, I got, I've got to tell you something that I I don't think you know. There's a lot of things I don't know, but go on. It's my birthday today. No way! Happy, yeah. This is such a special episode. Yeah. This is Happy birthday! Episode. Thank you. Do you want us all to sing along? Happy birthday. Yeah, that would be great. Everybody within their car. All right. (laughs) Wherever you're listening to this, just stop doing what you're doing right now. And just happy birthday to you. Happy birthday to you. Happy birthday, dear Tiffany. Happy birthday to you. And the second like verse of that is just like really rude. So we're going to skip it. Everybody (laughs) knows not to sing the second verse after someone is like, I don't know, 
nine. So yeah. Um, happy birthday. Thank you. Hope it is a happy birthday. Yeah. You have not had, Oh my, I don't even know. I don't even know how to frame this because I, I went through this in the, in the summer, um, September actually. And you lost someone very special in your life. Yeah, I lost my I lost my little coachie on Wednesday. And it's been a really tough week. But I wanted to I wanted to get on and chat with you because in the middle of what's been the most painful and hardest thing I've ever felt in my life. There's been heaps of stuff. Like there's been heaps that I've thought and felt and learned and noticed and questions and I just want to talk like I just thought I want to talk about it all with you like I want to talk about the questions that come up and the feelings and life like life and love and loss and heartache and hard stuff and learning and pretty much the same thing we always talk about really but with a whole lot of loaded emotion i don't know whether it's beautiful or whether it's sad or, or whether it's even true but i believe that you only learn i mean not just comprehend you want a deep visceral level understand what is truly meaningful in life in the face of death. Yes. You'll learn more about what really matters, not from the books you read. And I'm a big advocate of reading. I think learning is one of the things that make us feel most alive when we're tapped into things that align with meaning and curiosity. But it's not even that. And it's definitely not what people are promoting or advocating on your social media feed. When you go to a funeral, think about this. This is the last thing you're ever going to say about this person. Not, not ever. You're going to talk about this person, keep their memory alive. But this is kind of like a symbolic farewell. If there's something that's important to be said, here's the time to say it. Mm. And nobody's ever like, oh, Jane's portfolio. We'll remember her for that. Or John, <laughs> John would just work harder than anyone else stayed up late, got up super early. And that's why we love and respect them and we're going to miss them. None of that shit comes up. It is, it is the memories. It is the sentiment and the emotions. It's people in some cultures hanging shit on each other because it's different culturally. In some cultures, it's not this deep mourning. It's a celebration. It's almost disrespectful. To mourn the person in other cultures, your culture included, there's mourning, but you're going to take the piss out of the person in the coffin because you did when they were alive and it makes you feel connected to them in death. And everyone can laugh because there's certain idiosyncrasies that encapsulate the person. And they talk about the memories and how that person made you feel. And that's it. That's pretty much what comes up. And this really hit me. A couple of years ago, I went to a funeral and I didn't know this person. 
I was there to pay my respects to someone who did know them. So I was able to look at this with a little bit more objectivity than when you're attending for someone who you knew personally. And, and, and just a few months ago, my, a really good friend of mine lost his dad. And I didn't really know his dad. I met him. I didn't know him, know him. And it's the same thing. It's like, wow, you know, this must be what really matters because people are saying things at a funeral where a lot of times, you know, they're not watching what they're saying. They're, they're overcome with emotion, just letting it rip. This is not a, this is not a time <laughs> for congeniality. This is a time for raw honesty. And this is what keeps coming up. And I think it's almost like a recipe. You know, if you're a masterful chef, it's not any one ingredient that matters. It's the process of how you bring all those ingredients together. And yes, the more purpose and intention you put into your recipe, the more hard work and process you engage in in the development of mastery the more fulfilling and delicious what you put out in the world is going to be for others who you're serving and for yourself. Yes. But if you ever ask a great chef, like you've dedicated your whole life to this, you know, I know someone who was a chef who recently passed. And I'm sure if you ask this, this individual, what, what was the meaning of it? They wouldn't say, well, the meaning of life, the meaning of the culinary arts is flour. It's about the flour. They're not going to look at one isolated ingredient and say, this is it. It's the art of how it all comes together. It's the why, it's the what, it's the how and the who. I think that's what you find in death. That's what you find at a funeral. It's all of these ingredients and how these ingredients galvanize to create memories and to affect us on a deep emotional level, the connection between how me and you and how we intersect for however long, however long we're on this ride. Mm. The week before, come on, Tiff, find your words. The week before I was talking to Harps on the phone and we were talking about, we're just, we're talking about some life stuff, life and love and loss and fear and whatever. And I said, I think about what, that I have coach and I, and I fear that losing her if I've, if for six years. I've thought about it. I think about it all the time daily, like one day you won't be here and it's going to rip me apart one day. And it was like, but that was six years away in my mind at least. Mm. And you know, she went in to get a dislocated toe operated on. So there wasn't even a thought in my mind that it was even an issue. It was, ah, oh, poor thing's not going to be able to chase the Frisbee for weeks. And I was sad about that. And getting that news was so, like, just unbelievable like weird and shocking but it was it's the things that you observe in the moment or for me it was the things I observed about me in the moment that in the middle of the gut-wrenching pain there was these silver linings that were like wow 
if this didn't happen, I wouldn't notice this. Like, look how much I've changed. Look how much she changed you. And look how much you can take out of this. And even these moments where it was like you get to choose to use like not get to choose. It was like I realised that I was already making choices to focus on things in a completely different way that I would have two years ago. Talk about that because everything and everyone that comes into our life, it's like a boulder in a river. It's this formidable, significant thing in your path. It's going to redirect you in some way. In what ways were you specifically changed through your relationship with Coach? So I got her. So in back when we first started the podcast in episode 68, Harps and I were having a chat and we didn't get to have a chat about the topic we were going to because we went on a tangent. And I told this big story about when I got Coach. And I got Coach when I first became a PT because – Two things I wanted to I wanted to get two things out of that, and one was to not be a workaholic and to force myself to have to create a business where I would stay home a lot of the time as well. So it was you can't just go and be a workaholic, get a dog, commit to it, be home, and create a life at home as well. And the second thing was was commitment and committing to another being. So having getting close to something and letting so in my past when I would get animals would not take long before I had a reason to have to rehome them and really the reason was I'd never wanted to lose them and I remember years ago having a whippet for maybe 12 months her name was Chloe and she was amazing and at that point in time I I was working full-time and I was and I hated having just one dog at home all day. So I was like, I either have to get another dog or I need to rehome it. And I don't want to get another dog because I had this idea that I'm probably going to travel. I feel like I might travel one day and then I'm going to have two dogs to rehome. So I rehomed her and within six months I'd reached out because these these people would come to Melbourne every few months and I'd reached out and said, when will you next be back? I'd love to see her. And they said, that she had renal disease and she would only live for another six months. And I remember at that time concreting the belief that, see, I got rid of her so that I wouldn't lose her. See, it was meant to be. So I got so it, it just reaffirmed that belief of loss, that it, I was protected from loss and I did the right thing. So so getting a dog and getting coach was really, it was a really big thing. And 18 months in, around 18 months in, I had those like, that desire to kind of want to pull back and not and not commit to that. And I remember putting a post up in a, you know, it's hard. It's hard to make change in your life, especially when you're talking not just circumstantial like every day look after a dog and live your life but also commit to letting something love you and depend on you and committing to that no matter what to like and one day that you will outlive that. There's chances are very high that you will outlive that. So one day there will be pain. And I always thought about that. But so I put this post up in this group of like, you know, I'm not, I'm just starting to think that maybe I might not be able to keep my little, little doggy. So I might need to rehome her. And people just jumped on it because she's amazing. And the moment 
anybody responded, I just burst into tears and I put a lead on and I sobbed my way to the park and I was just heartbroken and I just thought, no, like you can't have my dog. Like that's my dog. Like I, that's when I realised I was like, this is I'm her person. Like there's no just giving somebody else this animal. This is a part of me and it was so huge. So I get the news on San, um, on Wednesday. I had just pulled up in Dandenong nearly an hour away to do a training session with my coach and the vet rang and they said there's been a there's been a tragedy and your little doggy didn't make it and i'm sitting in the car listening to those words and there's this emptiness inside me that's kind of non-responsive and there's this part of me that's going so in my mind i've got this like almost a cartoon picture of this crazy chaos at the vet where all the animals got out and they couldn't do the operation right as she's telling me and then when she says your doggy didn't make it i'm like oh, what happened to coach in the middle of that chaos of the tragedy at the vet? It was like it just wasn't landing and and I just and I was just saying like, oh, okay, what? Okay, so what do I do now? Like, you know, what's the, <laughs> I don't know, like weird. And then I hung up and what interests me is that, you know, I, I wanted to stay and wait for Bryce to get to the gym because I knew that, he had recent, not recently, he had a few years ago lost a dog and that we'd spoken about that and that he couldn't get another dog since because it, he was so deeply hurt. So I knew he got it. I knew that and and he's a strong person and so I sat with him but in, while I waited for him I rang two people and it was interesting to, it's just interesting to observe who I, who I rang. Like I rang Charlie who's one of my PT clients. So Jane and Charlie um, are really good friends of mine now and I train them, but they have dogs and every Friday they have a dog. Every Friday we take our dogs to train and, you know, they love coach and they've we've talked about a lot of stuff so we know each other well. And so I it was just interesting to see who I phoned to lean on and spend time with and I, and I phoned Harps and, you know, I – drove I sat with my coach my actual boxing coach for 45 minutes and he talked me through the initial terror and then I drove back home and you know I made sure that I was going to be with people that night and Tiff two years ago would have just crawled into a shell and stayed away from everybody so coached taught you about unconditional love and about courage yeah yeah it's a it's a like i've had a lot of people relatively i mean my fair share of people disappear in my life like even from when i was a kid there'd be a car accident there'd be a murder Mm -hmm. you know and something would, would happen and obviously that affects you in profound ways. I did not expect, I, I had no way to prepare myself for how hard it was to lose a dog. And I think one of the factors that contribute to that, and there's, you know, there's reflection, 
Like, what was the best thing about having a dog? What did I learn from that dog? And then this critical reflection, what is it in me that needs to be addressed? What is it in me that is hurtful or incomplete that I know I need to reconcile utilizing my dog as a model? Is that unconditional love? Especially if you're growing up with abandonment and you had this thing, the world is not safe and nobody really does have my back at a very young age. And that's terrifying. And then it's like, okay, I'll do anything. I'll, and one of the things that I do is I read neutral facial expressions as hostile, which is common for people mm. like me. Or I'll read a neutral tone as being hostile. I'll think that person's upset or angry. And if you grow up like that, where everything's always a threat, you'll you'll misinterpret things in your relationships. You'll misinterpret tones. You'll look for things that are not really there. You'll exaggerate things that are there, anything to excuse. Okay, well, I'm going to get away from this person because this person is not right for me. And it's all a story. I'm not saying that sometimes there's people that you do need to get away from. They're not right for you. But other times, these are things that you are exaggerating within your personal narrative to protect you from, in your mind, that inevitable day where that person will harm you, even if by harm, it's abandonment. And then you encounter a relationship where there is absolute unconditional love. And there are people that love each other unconditionally, but there are also a lot of people that, that don't. I love you as long as you believe what I believe. As long as you behave and show up as the person who I want you to be. And that's not, well, I want you to be the best version of yourself because that's also unconditional. I want that for you. I'll encourage that for you. I'll support, but I don't demand that from you. And I don't expect that from you. Um, with a dog, you have that. It's just so unconditional. It's so conspicuous in their interactions with you. Don't have to be anybody for your dog. Your dog thinks you're amazing. Mm. You could literally be yourself. Which I mean, it's funny, but it's not common with a lot of people. So you lose that unconditional relationship. I think one of the things that I thought about is in what ways could I be more like Orlando? Not only what did I learn from him, but what inadequacies in me did by contrast he expose and, and, and people are like oh what, what, it's a dog dogs are really smart if you're a dog person you know that dogs are far more evolved than people give them credit for if you're not a dog there's no way i can explain this to you <laughs> you know it's, it, it's just they are so brilliant and in touch and always communicating Mm. We uh, we under and, and they're they're about as smart as a three year old kid, which is pretty freaking clever. What did you come up with with Orlando and you? One is un, is unconditional love. I strive for that. Obviously, I probably fall short quite often. And the other is his ability to not not be frazzled by that which truly does not matter. We used to call him like the, the Zen master. <laughs> dogs used to react to him in such a weird way. The little dogs would 
would get snippy with him. They would snip at him and he wouldn't even react. He wouldn't move. He wouldn't become afraid or not visibly afraid. Mm. He wouldn't become aggressive. He would just sit there looking at them. Like, really? Is that what we're doing? What was that about? And it would freak them out. It would throw them off their game. Big dogs. Oh, my God. Watching big dogs interact. with. Okay, so Orlando was a shih tzu. He was a purebred. He was actually a champion breed. My wife showed me the paper, a champion breed. I was so proud of that. I don't know what it means. Champion breed. Shih tzu. I don't know what he was able to do. I don't know like what, what his feats of athleticism were. He couldn't even jump on the bed. I'm not really sure how he qualifies as a champion. I don't know. Maybe there was like jousting matches he had won at some point in his youth, but they're a lot bigger. They don't have the underbite because they're sometimes they're bred to be too small for their own good, which creates health problems. But he was amazing. He was, he was much longer, much larger. He, he had a much fuller face, but he was a shih tzu. <laughs> and um, so large dogs would roll over in a submissive position. Oh, what? We had, a, we had a couple of pit bulls in our neighborhood. One of them, her name was Minnie. Um, <laughs> and like, it, it, it was hilarious because she was, I think she was the most m- muscular pit bull like I've ever seen. <laughs> if I was a pit bull, I'd be Minnie. <laughs> she, she, she looked like she was on a cycle. <laughs> but she thought she was like a lap dog. Oh. Like if she came up to the car, she could like scratch a dent into your car. She was so powerful. And even her, like with Orlando, she was just like, just calm and just like chill. She would just get down to the ground. And he had this energy like that was so non-threatening, inviting, but non-reactive to things that didn't require reaction. Me, the way I grew up, I am hyper reactive. Yeah. Unless something's really serious then I have more calm than most people around me. Mm. But up until that threshold, I, I'm so reactive. I need to constantly work on myself. We were going to create a Facebook page where he was going to be the avatar. And it was one of these, like the world according to Orlando things mm. and put up all these Orlando isms, like the way he sees the world. So he taught me a lot and trying to emulate the attributes that, he displayed day to day is quite difficult for me, but it gives, it gives me something to strive for. And I don't know about you, but for me, I was in the room as much as you might think, because this is what I was thinking as, as you were speaking, like, oh my God, it's so hard when you, you're not anticipating it. It's all so sudden. Yeah. So you can't come to grips and prepare yourself. You can't say what you need to say. Yeah. You know, because I remember it, it was very obvious that we had we had to bring him in. He was 16 years old and we did not want to. My wife, especially like we had very differing views on this where because he he lost his hearing. Then he lost his ability to walk. Mm. Then he developed heart disease. Then he lost his sight in one eye oh. and. Then he started losing his vision in the other eye. And it's like, okay. My wife was like, oh, no, but he still loves his treats. And it was like, I mean, we, we had some heated, not fights against each other. Like, we both really love that dog, but we had some serious disagreements. I was like, okay, 
the dog is crippled. He cannot walk. He cannot hear. And now he cannot see. If you put something tasty in his mouth, yes, he's going to eat it. But, <laughs> oh. but if I, I was like, if I was blind and I was deaf and I couldn't walk anymore and he had arthritis and there was a lot of physical pain, I was like, would you keep me alive because I enjoyed ice cream? Like, so we waited and waited. And so I was like, okay, this is not fair. When he started losing control of, of his, of his bowels, he's <laughs> like, okay, that's, this is, this, this is getting to be a quality of life. That's torturous. Mm. So we brought him in over the weekend and we, we wound up changing our mind because we thought, okay, we, we want to spend more time with him that just maybe the weekend, you know, we brought him to the pub with us. Mm to hang out in the pub and, and he doesn't even know he's in the pub. He could just smell us. He's happy. You know, <laughs> he's just, and he was out in the sun. He could feel the sun. So we weren't ready. And I will say this from my perspective, no matter how much you think there's something you would have done or something you needed to say or communicate, or there's a way in which you need to prepare yourself. Most likely you would not have been able to do any of those things because I was there in the room. We were there in the room with him. And you realize you're completely not prepared for this. Mm. I was devastated. I mean, we both were in bits, but it was happening so fast. I had this thing in my head that this would be a very slow process. And she's like, oh, we're going to give him this drug and then this drug. And, then and I'm just, everything in my soul wanted to stop time. Like this can't happen. Like, and without going into too much detail, I'm just saying there's no way to ever prepare yourself. And we couldn't, we couldn't mention his name. I couldn't, and we couldn't see anything. Like we would come home and see stuff that was his. It was crushing for me. What made me feel better was talking about the stuff he used to do that irritated us. He was the most stubborn dog in the world. Like if we would go on a walk and we go, Oh, you know what? Let's, Let's go this way instead of that. He would just put his feet down this little shit. So and dig, <laughs> dig his heels into the ground. Look at us. Like how many times do we go on this walk a week? Don't you know, it's the other direct direction. You idiots. He would look at us. It was almost like Stewie from family guy idiots. And it's like, and it's like, you like you, if it wasn't for me, you two would be useless. And then he used to like not go on his wee pad. And sometimes he did that um, because he was upset with us. So it was on spite. Like he would go right next to it. Oh. And then other times, and then other times, yeah, right? Like talk about like things that, it, and we would talk about those things. And it's like, oh, you remember, he always does this. And when we were talking about that, it was present tense. Because when we were talking about how much we loved him and the great memories we had, it was very much referring to in the past. Yeah. But then when we would talk about how angry we are when he misses his wee pad, it was almost like he did it this morning. <laughs> and it's like, all right, how do, what, how do we deal with this? You know, are we going to have to go buy one of those sprays, which don't work? <laughs> <laughs> Somehow you spray it. He's like, oh, I'm supposed to go here. Doesn't work. Um, <laughs> or it didn't work for him. It made me feel connected to him. Like, like he's in the house and he's just gotten in trouble. Mm. If that makes any sense at all. Yeah, it's really interesting, I reckon, how we how different everyone 
experiences things and a friend of mine we were talking yesterday and she said oh I just thought of because because I'm pretty prolific with my coach posts every single day every second day is oh by the way Mm -hmm. just in case you're wondering I've got the best dog in the world um so obviously my memories on Facebook are just going to daily be her and she's like I thought of that and I just thought are you going to start a new Facebook, a fresh Facebook? And for, I was like, "What? no, like I want to see her everywhere. And I've been carrying around her favourite toy. She's got this stupid um, Dulux dog that's all half fucking taxed. It's got hardly any stuffing. It's only got stuffing in its feet. It's got a hole in it. It's dirty. And I've been carrying that around and... You know, like I don't want to move any of her stuff yet and I walked in the kitchen this morning and I looked at a food station which had a little bit of kibble in it and one of my friends was here the other night and she must have emptied it because it didn't have kibble in it. And I was like, oh, well, why isn't there kibble? So I had to put more kibble in there. And I was like, I'm just not like... It's weird what you do and it's weird like I just watch what I'm doing and I'm not pushing back on anything or judging it. I'm just like, oh, I think I'd like to pop that kibble back in there for now and that's interesting that I'm Mm -hmm. doing that, you know. Like it's interesting to me that I can be talking to you now and not be upset and some, you know, like yesterday, yesterday I laid in bed and I cried for four hours straight and then I got out of bed and then I spent time with people and then... I've eaten a lot of cake. <laughs> okay, a lot, a lot of cake for um, – so As eaten, you do, yeah. Yeah, so people gave me cake and so I had cake for dinner, cake for breakfast and then cake for afternoon tea and last night I was like, all right, we might not have cake for dinner. So I Uber eats myself some – a really healthy, delicious salmon thingy and it arrived and, you know, I was, I was feeling good and I ran downstairs and I ran upstairs with it and walked inside, came into my studio, popped it on the ground, burst into tears, felt sick and didn't want to eat it because there was all of this underlying feeling of there was no anticipation from coach that someone was at the door. So I didn't have to argue to get to the door and for her to wait here. And then I opened the door and, again, for four days the carpets had no white hair on it and that triggers me every time I see it. I'm like, why is the carpet clean? And then when I sat down and I, for some reason, put the put the Uber bag on the ground, not the desk, and then I was like, I've never had to put, I've never been able to put it on the ground. And then I was just so, like, I felt sick to my stomach and I was horrific for a few minutes. And I was like, isn't it weird how we react? And I don't know, I just, I'm just finding that side of things really interesting what upsets us and what doesn't. But I all love talking about her and I want to look at her. Like I started I started sketching her last night. I'm sketching a picture of me and her. Ready? I, I saw that. Yeah. Oh, that's you you're know, so talented. I just want to look in her face. Like I love it. Um, For those of you who can't see that, if, if you are following Tiff on Facebook, you've got to see her sketches. She is exceedingly talented. 
Well, we'll see when I have to put my face next to coaches. That might bring it to, to its knees. But, uh, well, that has nothing to do with your level of talent, Tiff. <laughs> One thing that I noticed that, that made me really happy, there's some things that I've noticed that have just made me, that have been so important that it almost, you so, I, I sort of go, maybe she just, maybe she did this for a reason, like, Maybe another six years would have just been an utter waste of time because she came here and she had this impact. And the fact that I had this immediate recognition that I didn't just want to lose what I'd built with her, I wanted to make sure that in the interim right now I got it from people and I've never I've never walked that path. But I was like, okay, I've spent time with her every day knowing feeling the chemical reaction of love and oxytocin and connection and trust and unconditional love. I've felt that and I've been really conscious of it because we talk about it on the podcast. I'm like, that's a thing. This is medicine. And so this realisation straight away of like, hey, Tiff, in the middle of all of this grief and sadness, make sure that you get that medicine from people. You're going to have to, you've only got people right now and they're there for you. So letting people be there for me was really, and I was like, wow, Tiff two years ago would definitely not have done that. And then going, you know, this is not going to scare me off. I'm going to be brave and I'm going to step into things. And whether that's human relationships, which are obviously not something I step into easily, but you know, or whether it's one day putting myself in the firing line of another animal that's not going to live as long as me. It's like I'm I'm not going to run away from this. There's like that mm-hmm. what I got from the before all of this and and I'm going to and I think I'll cherish it even more next time and not in a bad way, not in a like miserable way, but just in a way of like just be really present in every fucking moment because there might not be there just might not be a tomorrow. There might not even be a rest of today. I think that's quite sobering. It's it's a stoic exercise where you imagine like who's the person you love the most? What happened if they didn't come home? And you know, a lot of people, oh, that's so negative. First of all, not addressing feelings because they hurt is not negativity, it's avoidance and our painful emotions are some of our most reliable navigators at times to what our innate human needs are that are going on mat. Mm. So denying or avoiding usually represses things in a way where they come out in much uglier ways later on down the road. It's also understanding. I, I think when somebody, if you're imagining the person you love most and they're not there and has that affect you and what are you struggling with? The next time you run into that person, whether it's in an hour or or like a week, I'm sure that's going to be reflected in your behaviors. Mm. You're going to be more likely to behave in ways that make the now more poignant and connected, regardless of what happens in the future. And coach did not give you any of the attributes that were being expressed in that relationship. She merely created the safety and gave you the love 
to extract those attributes, to bring them out from you. Mm. So you have all of that. I Every single day, several times a day, more than I'd like to really admit, I'll probably snip this out of the podcast, it's that many, but I would... I would smother her head with kisses and I would look her in the eyes. I would cup her, my hands under her little f- fucking snout <laughs> and, mm-hmm. I would, and I would look her in the eyes and I would say, Coach, do you know? Like, do you even know? Like, do you know how much I love you? And I would ask her and ask her every day and I would think, fuck, you're a psychopath, Tiff. <laughs> That's but, um, First of all, I, I, I think. I think we have a very unclear understanding of the clinical definition of psychopath. Uh, <laughs> I don't think that's it. Second, please don't cut this out of the podcast. Because but, um, why do we not do that more often every day? And this is this is it, right? And the, and when I saw her at the vet afterwards, and I spent my time with her, and I got to push my face against hers and make sure I remember what that felt like because that was the first thing. I That was the only thing I thought of is, oh, oh, but what about how her face fits into mine and I don't get to feel that now so I got to feel it. But I just kept whispering, did you know how much? Like, really? And one thing that I, I'm feel like I'm doing is, you know, like the amount of people I've said I love you to in the last five days, I don't say I love you to people because it's uncomfortable and hard. And I love people and I don't tell them. And and sometimes I just, you know, saying I love you without dropping the eye or saying I love you, love your guts, love you, and then following it up, comma, following it up with something like just to just writing back to people I love you has been something I was like, well, I'm like change is going to come from this because you don't know. Like I told her every day, but it was still a question in my mind. What do you know when you were asking that question? Like, do you know, do you really know what's going on inside that? Whippet head of yours. Like, what did you know for certain? Me? Oh, like, I just completely surrendered to that dog. Completely, with zero reservations. Like, you know, you try and have your little rules, <laughs> try to have your little rules. And I just, like, they just dropped. There would, And I don't think there's ever been a time in my life where I have done that. There's always a contingency plan. There's, I'm always just ready. I never really drop. I never surrender because I never trust it. And, or there's always a what if. There's always a what if. But if there's a what if, there's a what if behind the what if. I just remember the times when I would, 
and you know it in the moment, like I would know it in these moments. I, don't, I can't remember when they were or how long or how many, but I know there were just times when I would just fucking scoop her up and smother her on my bed and be like, you got me, this is it. I'm like, all right, <laughs> fucking game over. <laughs> you know, like, like in the last couple of weeks, we have this cycle of me going, all right, no dogs in the bed, no dogs on the bed, no dogs in the bed. When I first moved to this apartment almost a year ago, I was like, all right, she's not going in my bedroom. It's a small bedroom. She doesn't need to go in there. No dogs in the bedroom. And then eventually, okay, well, she can come in, but no, not on the bed. She wasn't allowed on the bed because dog hair, she loses so much dog hair. It's fucking everywhere. It's like a blizzard of dog hair. She shakes, shakes her head in the studio and three rooms down gets covered in hair. It's ridiculous. And so, and then it was like, okay, dog's on the bed but not in the bed. And, well, it got to the point where I was like, fuck it, she's in. And this, you know, like the last couple of weeks, I get in bed and then she'll be laying on the bed and then at some point I'll be reading a book. At some point she comes up and she stands towering over me with a snout towering over my head, just looking at me like a fuckwit. <laughs> and then she like nudges and so she's standing on the doona and then she nudges at it like lift this up, I'm coming in. And so there's me going, coach, you're not, you know you're not allowed in the bed as I'm lifting it up. So pretending that she's not allowed in the bed but she's like, but she's standing on it and then trying to get in and then her big fat ass is in my face and it's just so funny it's this fucking stupid performance for five minutes as she's trying to get into this thing that she's standing on and then she just slides down and against my leg and she's just this massive whippet and I've got two inches of the queen bed and I would in that moment I was just like Oh, I pretend that that's naughty, but I love that so much. I fucking love the feeling of you doing that. If she was that clever to understand that game that you were playing, (laughs) my guess is I'm fairly confident, more than fairly confident, she knew that she was very much loved. I I think dogs, because they're so emotionally evolved, they understand things like that very deeply, very clearly. Mm. She understood that she loved you and that she was loved intensely by you. Mm. That's the only thing you have, right? I mean, earlier you were talking about what if, and I made a stupid comment. Well, there's a what if behind the what if, but there is. Yeah, what if this, the worst thing happens? What if what I'm afraid of happens? First of all, when you vocalize what you're most afraid of, when you vocalize that emotion that you're intensely feeling that you don't want to feel, you diminish it. And you're more able to deal with it. But what if that does happen? What if? What what if I give all of my love to somebody and I surrender to that, and then they end up hurting me. Well, if my, if something inside of me was what allowed me to engage with someone like that, it wasn't an external thing. It's not like they took a car 
And, oh, now I've lost my vehicle. How do I get to where I need to go? Because I was the vehicle for how I navigated lovingly through that relationship. So that can't be taken from me because it's not external to me. So what if it actually does happen? It's going to hurt. It's going to wound me. But if I get my strength from what is inside of me because I surrender to that, it can't be taken. If my ability to be loving, I relinquish that to what's outside of me, to that person. It's person situation dependent and that person leaves. They take with them like like stealing my car, an external vehicle from which I navigate lovingly. But if they could take that from me, was it ever really mine in the first place? It doesn't matter. You are what you love, not what loves you. We've said this on this podcast mm-hmm. so many times. So earlier, it was, I, was, I, was at, um, I was at a coffee shop. I was sitting down. This woman comes with this big pram. And she's got like the two kids side by side in the pram. And she's going to try to fit that through the door of the coffee shop. And I was like, oh, wow. Okay. So I jumped up and I held that door open for her because that, that was really hard to just even navigate the pram. And she's putting it. I was like, she's not, it's not going to fit. It's not going to. And she like fits this thing right through the door. I was like, very impressed. She doesn't even turn around and say, thank you. Like, so I'm standing there for a while. <laughs> it felt like the better part of a minute as she was getting this thing through. And I was just like, hmm. All right. Maybe she was distracted. I don't know. Maybe she's just discourteous. She was coming out of the coffee shop. And I was like, I'm not going to help her again. I was like, what is wrong with you? Like, help her again. So I got up and I helped her again. And again, she did not say thank you. But then I realized something that my wife would have pointed out. You know, in this scenario, you're the only one who's expecting you absolutely should get a thing. And I believe you should. Somebody does something like that for you, say thank you. I believe in social etiquette and common courtesy. I don't know why she didn't say thank you. And it's none of my business, really. But clearly, I was the only one in that exchange that thought I was owed a thank you. (laughs) And the fact that she didn't say thank you the first time should not stop me from holding the door for her a second time because that's the person I would like to be who sees someone, oh, I could do something. It doesn't cost me much. And I can make this thing a little bit easier for them, which is very difficult. Yeah, I want to be that type of person. Yes. I wasn't doing it for recognition or for well, a thank you for that connection. Her response was irrelevant unless I make it all about her response. Oh, this is, we talked about that kind of on a podcast recently, you know, about why we do things and what really is the driver. And I think noticing that is really interesting, noticing it and doing it anyway. I love noticing shit when you go, "Mm, what's this about? You know, like going through this week and going, uh, it's really interesting to go, oh, when when do I tell people? When do I? let people know about this. Who do I tell? How do I tell it? Um, like, and in the middle of that for me, it's it's what's the best thing for me? What's each day going to look and feel like and how much just monitoring the, the stimulation of stress and love and, and turmoil and, yeah, 
Yeah, it's interesting. I don't know because I've never been through it before, which is crazy. I'm 39. I've never lost anything like this. 39, that's a pretty good innings or not because it reflects. <laughs> I mean, you know, it's, you know, it's funny. The first person that spoke to me said to me actually it wasn't the first. Well, the first person I saw, I spoke to Jane and she said, it's better to have loved and lost than never loved at all. That's a Tennyson quote. I live on Tennyson Street and there's a stack of them on the street but right a couple of doors or one door down from where I my apartment there's a little like one of those weird silver, I don't know if it's electricity kind of box thing and it's spray painted on there. It's better to have loved and lost and never loved at all. And it's those little things where you just go, yeah, right. Look, it's so amazing what you notice. And it's true. Yeah. I mean, what is the, not to bring this question up on the podcast, but what's really the meaning of life? And nobody's had a definitive answer for that, obviously. If they do, they're really like holding out on the rest of us. Not cool. And some people think, well, the meaning of life is the meaning that you give to life. It's, and that's fine as well. But whatever you land on, it's got to involve somebody else. It's got to involve that love, that communication, that contribution to, that receiving from. It's got to have something to do with how we share, interact, and love one another and contribute to each other. Because what else could it be? Mm. Like, There's nothing you could really do for a rock that's going to impress it or change its existence that much <laughs> in any way, shape, or form. I mean, you could paint little smiley faces on them. Whatever. I don't think they care. <sighs> Whatever the meaning of life is, it has to involve someone outside of you. Yeah. Even if it's to evolve, well, how do you do that? Our whole nervous system is wired based on interactions we have with one another. Mm -hmm. So that whole concept of who you is, is based on how you've interacted with others in society, formulating that identity, that sense of self. So even that involves others. Yeah, a hundred percent, hundred percent. You know, and just looking at who I am today and how different that person is. I was t said to a friend that I caught up with recently. I'd love to go back into, you know, like. The, the first boxing gym that I worked at and be around those people and feel what those interactions and relationships would feel like because I am not the same person. I know that and I think it's hard to it's hard to know when we've changed a lot from the outside from the inside. It's hard to go to really understand just how big the chat because we change so gradually over time we change due to our environment and it's it's not like a sudden oh i'm different it's a we are influenced and we grow and we learn and we evolve and we change we deliberately change ourselves and then there's shifts because of the other people around us and i genuinely thought that i thought gee i'd love just to have a day to step into the old routine and and be around those people and see what it who i feel like in the middle of that now so I mean, sometimes we, we we evolve slowly. Sometimes transformations are you know 
quite significant. Mm. And look at Caitlyn Jenner. That was a pretty dramatic transformation in a relatively short period of time. <laughs> considering, but I know that when I was living at Ground Zero during 9-11, I saw a lot of people transform or at least change. Right? I think the difference is something that is truly transformed can never go back to the form that it used to be. Mm. You can make a change, but when you're when you're truly transformed, there's no recidivism. You've just broken through that barrier. You are someone new. So are we truly trans? I mean, in some cases, but I, I remember seeing dramatic changes in people and their personalities, in how they interacted, for better or for worse, in what they considered to be important versus trivial, that shifted. So I think when there's something that is emotively provocative to uh, at a certain level of intensity, those transformations are quite more profound mm. as well as expeditious. But yeah, we, we, we change gradually. Sometimes we're not even aware unless we look back at retrospect or someone sees us, wow, that points that out to us. Like who we can become in a year. We don't notice that day to day. Yeah. I want you to I want to finish up with you telling me your favorite Orlando quirk. <sighs> okay, what comes to the top of my head, if you ask me next week, I'll have a different one. <laughs> so Amy used to train Orlando. He was quite good too with tricks. He knew he knew how to spin, he knew how to roll over, he knew how to give me five, he knew how to give me ten. Cause you know, like we're friends with Martin Rooney. So like <laughs> high five wasn't good enough. Had to be a high 10. Otherwise, <laughs> Uncle Martin's going to be very disappointed in you. And <laughs> he just knew how to do 10 different tricks. And when we would give him a treat, there were different levels of treats. He loved all of them, but there was like the favorite treats. <laughs> and then there was like, oh, I'll eat that. Or I'll go hide that for later if I'm hungry enough. And then there were just certain treats he would just go out of his mind for. And Amy had this thing like, okay, if, if I'm going to give you a treat, you got to do a trick. So spin, play dead, roll over something. And when we would bring out like the ultimate treat, he would get so excited that whatever we asked him for, he would do every trick he knew. So he'd be like, he'd be, cause he, he was so excited. He couldn't contain himself. He couldn't pay attention. He's like, all right, you I don't know what they want. No, just give me the treat. So he would like, he would, he would jump up, give a high 10, drop to the floor, roll over, get up from the floor, spin around. It's like that. He would sit down, stand on his hind legs. It's like, I'll do everything. I've done it all. What do you want from me? And it was just, that and so he, he would always whimper and cry and jump up to get on the bed because he couldn't do it on his own. So you would go to sleep and then he'd come in and go, oh, I want to be up there with him. And, and this was such an irritating quirk, but I, mi I, I miss it now. He would at some point go to the edge of the bed and stare at the door as some form of protective instinct. What my Shih Tzu could do to protect the house from an assailant, I still can't figure out. I don't know what he had planned. I don't know. Maybe he knew jujitsu or something, but he would just sit there looking at the door. But before that, he would he would come up and, and cuddle with us. I don't know what it is 
about the taste of my face, but he would just lick me constantly. I, I didn't want to push him away, even though at some point I couldn't sleep. So sometimes I, I, we'll just wait it out. He's going to get, you know, like, like give him kisses back, pet him. At some point he's going to get tired of licking. No, he would sit there for 20 minutes, 30 minutes. If you let him and just keep licking your face. It's like, what is is it like, like, what is this? Is this like affection? Is this like, I don't know. Does, does my face taste good? I don't know what this is, but it's irritating. And at the same time, so absolutely adorable. I really miss that. Oh, I love how much your face lights up when you talk about him. I, I, I love I, that. I, I really, I really miss him. Like, like Amy just goes right to sleep. She's not going to sit stay up licking my face which would be like, <laughs> rude come on amy I, I know right but um that would be that would actually be disturbing um how do you handle the situation <laughs> how do you even bring this up <laughs> well it's gonna be an awkward I, breakfast isn't amy, it amy i have um, some needs <laughs> <laughs> and you're not meeting them right now and i want to help you meet those needs oh <laughs> uh. But like, like with Pete, we've been talking about the loss of a dog, but the things that people do that irritate you oh. when they're gone, you miss those things. Yeah. You miss them doing it. Yeah. <laughs> I, I would feel sad when, when I was getting ready to go to dinner with Harps the following night. I felt sad because normally when I'm in the bathroom getting ready, she knows that I'm putting real people clothes on and she's laying, staring sadly, so sadly. She's laying at the bathroom door, staring sadly, and I'm riddled with guilt. So so now I'm sad that when I'm going to do something for me, I'm not riddled with guilt about it. It's like the lack of guilt, which is not a great emotion to have to feel, is making me sad. It's like, oh, I want to feel guilty again. Like, <laughs> I remember when, this is a while ago, Amy, I was out on the road. Now, I was always on the road, but this was like sudden and – I, I guess, you know, very selfish. So I called Amy from the road and she's like, oh, I'm going to leave and I, I, I need to do a project. I need to make a film. I'm going to be gone for at least two months. I'm like two months at least. I said, like, okay, fine. And I think, I think it was the unexpected nature of it. And I think this was Friday. I was calling her Friday. I was coming home later that night. And I was like, well, when are you leaving? And she was like, well, Sunday. I was like, I'm sorry, what? <laughs> like there was no time to prepare. And I, I just remember she, she took Orlando with her because I was always on the road. So I can't take a dog to a seminar. Although that would be adorable. So she took Orlando back home with her to New York. And he, we had his bed. We, so that was tucked away. And I, I remember how uncomfortable it was not having the wee pad out. Now, the wee pad, that was such a source of frustration. Because <laughs> it was like 50-50. 
It's like if he if he needs to go, it's like he would go on the wee pad or nope, right next to it. It's almost as if he thought we were the wee pad was marking the part of the bathroom we didn't want him to pee anywhere else, but not on this thing. We're gonna cover the floor with this. That's how that's how important. But but sometimes he would do it. So it's like you get it sometimes. Mm-hmm. And there's nothing like I, sometimes I understand you're doing it on spite. I don't understand. And it would drive me nuts. Mm-hmm. And after about two weeks coming home, even though he wasn't there, I put the wee pads back out. Uh, yep. Cause it just, I thought, oh, the bathroom's so clean. I don't have to watch in the middle of the night, like where yeah. I'm going. And it's like, nope, I missed it. Yep. So I think the takeaways from this are you are what you love you are what you do and what you surrender to you know if you love something surrender to it it's about it's about you and who you want to be and your interaction with that person and there's always well what if something happens what if but what if it doesn't what if that person doesn't do the worst thing you think they're going to do what if they don't behave the way your other person or what if it does and it's just worth it anyway yeah exactly like there's always a there's always a what if behind the what if. So what if they leave? Okay, but what's the next what if behind that? Yeah. What if they don't? Or what if they do? So I, I I've had, I think, one of the most intense and loving human relationships I've had. It ended with me and that person. I mean, we're friends, but our relationship, our our romance ended and it was devastating and i always said you know because it it did come up where uh if you if you knew how this was going to end would you have ever gotten into it in the first place it's like of course i would have because that person brought so much joy and love and laughter and pain into my life and I am grateful for all of it. Like I said, they are a friend today and they'll be a friend as long as I'm alive because they're a great person. They're a great person. Circumstantially, things were complicated to the point where that complexity severed the relationship. Mm. But I am so grateful that I got a chance to love someone like that. So in the beginning of that relationship, you would ask, well, what's the worst thing that can happen? Well, this all ends. The worst thing that happened and, and, and it is not does not carry more weight than the best thing that could have and did happen. Yeah. I think my takeaway is that in life that I have an expectation that, and I kind of already had this, but I, you don't always apply it to all things, but it's like if you want 10 out of 10 love, you will get 10 out of 10. You, you must have 10 out of 10 pain or 10 out of 10 challenge. So maybe it's mm-hmm. 10 out of 10 love for the rest of your life. Maybe it's 10 out of 10 work at that love. And, you know, I think that's what it would be for me. I think it, that, that love is a hard thing and I think if I ever want to have it and have it all the time that it's always going to take a lot of hard work on my part. It's going to be triggering and challenging and uncomfortable or maybe it's not going to be those things but then maybe it's only going to last six years and I'm going to have 10 out of 10 pain because of it. So I think that's my takeaway. Can we can we reframe something here? Yeah. We're talking about hard, hard work. And there's a difference between doing something that's meaningful and doing something that doesn't have any meaning. Yeah. 
someone who is working hard at filing away things at a company where they don't know what the mission is, they don't know why they're there, they don't know how they directly contribute to that mission, that is psychologically exhausting. It's like the story of the two stone cutters. You know, one person is building a magnificent cathedral in the service yes. yeah. of, of his countrymen, of his God, and of people who, who will come after him. The other one is just cutting stone. They're both working very, very hard, equally hard. You could say that the first stone cutter emotionally is being more taxed, but when they go home, one person is crushed psychologically and emotionally. The other person, although his body is tired, is invigorated spiritually and emotionally. Mm. There's It's effort. Now, Viktor Frankl said that despair is suffering in the absence of meaning, right? So what is suffering in the presence of meaning? That's passion. We are wired that everything that is rewarding requires us going out and getting it. There's a pursuit. It requires effort. I think mm-hmm. effort is a better word than doing the hard, hard work. It requires effort because mm-hmm. anything worth having is worth putting effort into. Yeah. And the things that we love, we put effort into it willingly. It pulls us toward us. It extracts the effort from us because of, because of either the reward or what it alleviates. So... I, th- I think that's an important reframe because what could be more rewarding than the love of another sentient being, mm. another, another, you know, another creature, another person? Yeah. If you're going to allocate time and energy to something, do it for love. And you can't control everything. That's another takeaway. You are not, ne- I think people now, understand that more than they did two years ago. Yeah. But we still try to control things. Oh, yeah. A a lot of our less attractive behaviors are are fear-based behaviors, trying to exert a a locus of control when we don't have one. That was was another thing I really loved that I noticed quickly was I didn't try and grasp for any sense of control when this happened. You know, I... There's all the what ifs in the world. What if, what if I didn't go get her toe under? What if I did it the, the week after? Was it just was she just weaker on the day? What if? What if? What if? What if? What if I didn't throw the frisbee a certain way? Like I don't even know when she dislocated her toe. Like she went in for a dislocated toe. She didn't make it out of anesthetic. You know what if? What if I walked past a different vet? yesterday and I looked, glanced inside and my brain went, what if it was a different vet? Would a different vet at a different time of day in a different suburb had a different result? Not because the vet that I went to is bad, but because just the what ifs. If you want, the what ifs would have killed me. It was like, I don't, I'm not entertaining them because I made, because every step of the way I made the the best choice for her. So Mm -hmm. it couldn't have ever been another way. It couldn't have ever been another way. That was one of the things I was worried about. I was thinking about you. I was like, oh, I hope she's not ruminating on all the other things she could have done. There was nothing she could have done. And they and- pop in. They pop in, but they're but I recognize them as not my thoughts. I recognize them as a natural reaction, but I know better than uh, mm-hmm. you know, I've got this six year old dog that, you know, did 
that it was a freak accident and it's like I, I'm not going to, they're not my thoughts. Thoughts aren't always ours to have or to have to own. Like it's like, oh, you could grab hold of that. And no, that thought is not necessarily true just because it's present. You don't have to entertain it. Yeah. Yeah. It's there. And we get a choice of whether we grab it and go, oh, if I have that thought, then it must mean this. It doesn't mean anything. It's just that's a thought. It's a, it's a query. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, hey, Bobby, thank you so much for having this conversation with me today. You're very welcome, Tiff. I love you. I love you. Thank you for listening. I hope you enjoyed this episode. Visit us at theselfhelpantidote.com to share your feedback, insights, and recommendations on what topics you'd like us to explore in the future. 